0: Thanks for being here today. Um, happy to have you with us if you're new or visiting. Uh, thanks for joining us in worship today. According to the church calendar, today is Epiphany Sunday, or the Epiphany of the Lord, uh, during which we as the church celebrate the revelation of the birth of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So this morning we turn our attention to the story told in Matthew's Gospel of the Magi from Persia who traveled to Jerusalem seeking the one recently born King of the Jews. This is actually a story that I personally have entered into in new ways this year because I can't tell you how many times this year I have had to actually enter into character and pretend to be the Magi, all three of them, carrying my gold, frankincense, and myrrh, because our three-year-old this year has been obsessed with pretending to be Mary, wanting to pack her donkey with all of her belongings, and travel to Bethlehem. In fact, if you have spent any time at our house in the past month or two, you have probably been asked to go to Bethlehem with her. And during these trips, I always get to either be Joseph or the wise men, which I guess beats being stuck with the part of the donkey, which is always one of the first characters that is doled out to the actors in her play. Anyway, that's beside the point. This is the story we are going to consider this morning. But it's a story that's a bit more complex than just three wise men arriving from the east with their now memorialized gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is actually the darkest part of the birth narrative, but it's also a part with Profound insights, so that's what I would like us to consider during the rest of our time this morning The title of today's message is the expected exile of Christianity which I know is quite a cheery title to begin 2019, but This is my hope this morning As we consider this Really dark story from the beginning of the life of Christ. My hope is that we could perhaps gain some perspective for the new year that lies ahead. Because in a way, I think this story can help us manage some of our expectations, not just for the new year, but really for the rest of our lives as we seek to follow Jesus. You know, often as one year ends and another one begins, we find an opportunity to turn the page and Close a chapter in life that was maybe an unpleasant chapter or a season of failure or something like that. And as we turn the page and close the chapter, we look to the future with new hope. A lot of bright expectation for things to improve in life. And that's all great. I'm a proponent of finding any opportunity to initiate change, even if that is an arbitrary date on the calendar, that's fine. But I also think it's important for us to go into those seasons of newness with all of our goals and our expectations for thing things to improve in the future. I, I think it's important for us to go into those seasons with our eyes opened wide, understanding that in a lot of ways, our lives are always going to be lived in this space where there is the possibility of exile. Because that's a part of the life that we've entered in Jesus Christ. So, we're going to consider this story from Matthew's gospel. Before we do, I want to share something that Leslie Newbingen said. He's an influential British theologian, missiologist. He, he said, Nostalgia for the past and fear for the future are equally out of place for the Christian. Nostalgia for the past and fear for the future are out of place. For the Christians. So let's keep that thought in our minds as we begin to read this story from Matthew's gospel, today's gospel reading, Matthew chapter 2. And at the beginning of this chapter, we find that the gospel author, Matthew, relays a small historical detail that actually provides quite a lot of context for what is going to follow in this story. We are told that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but we are also given an additional detail that he was born in Bethlehem during a time when Herod was the king. And like many, if not most rulers and leaders of dominant civilizations, Herod was a ruthless but incredibly insecure leader. And as history tells us time and time again, ruthlessness and insecurity make for an unbelievably volatile cocktail of power. And Herod was no exception to that general rule. We begin reading this story, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So this is the story that tells us of the first Gentiles to receive the revelation that Jesus is the king of the Jews. These magi from the Orient, priests from Persia who were skilled in astronomy, had an ability to interpret dreams and quite the love for and interest in astrology, and somehow they had perceived through an astrological phenomenon, a sign in the stars, they had perceived that a new king of the Jews was born. And this sign that they saw in the stars was so credible, they had such a faith in it, and Such a sense of importance of this birth that it pointed to that they set out on a grueling, extremely dangerous, thousand-mile journey from Persia to Judea to pay homage and show respect with their now famous gifts. Naturally, as we've talked about throughout this past December, as the star leads them to Judea. They're looking for a king, and so they first look in the capital city, the center of religious power and prestige, because if there is going to be a king of the Jews, surely he would be born in a palace in Jerusalem. Well, this seemingly innocent inquiry in Jerusalem, unbeknownst to them, pushes over the first domino that leads to plans for widespread infanticide, the slaughter of the innocents, as it were, and as it has come to be known. We continue reading in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod is faced with these visitors from the east, and he is troubled by what they say. Perhaps spending sleepless nights, what are we going to do about this? we we need to enact a plan to fix this terrible development because this news that these men from the east bring shows that my power is being threatened you see Herod by this point was an old man and he was the king of Judea yes but really he was just a symbolic king he was a vassal king for the Roman empire and He was incredibly wealthy and actually did have some legitimate power over the people, but the symbolic nature of his kingship is not lost on him. He knows that he is just a puppet for the Roman Empire, so naturally he was quite suspicious. He was insecure. He knew that his power could be stripped away at a moment's notice. So he begins to put these pieces together, the the Jewish prophets speak of a Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem and you couple that with the fact that these religious men from the east have risked everything to make this journey to pay homage to this potential king. I don't care if this is just a baby. He could at some point in the near future pose a serious threat to my control and my power. He could agitate the people and disrupt the peace that we have worked so hard to achieve, and eventually he might lead to a revolution. He has to be stopped. Where is he? Let's, let's find him, use all of the resources we have to, to put this to an end. But let's attempt at first to do this in a clandestine way. He begins thinking and plotting and making all of these plans. I have these new friends that arrived, and they're looking for this baby. Surely with their help, I will be able to locate this threat. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him... Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in, a dr- warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So if we continue reading this story in Matthew's gospel, we discover that this initial plan to find this one child and destroy him with the help of the magi was unsuccessful because these men from the east don't cooperate. They are warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and so they return to their home. Herod is left scrambling, trying to figure out another option to put this insurrection to rest, so his brutality once again rises to the surface. He orders that all male children, two years old and under, in and around the town of Bethlehem, be killed. This is the slaughter of the innocents. And while Matthew's gospel is the only place we find this historical event recounted, it is in line with what we know to be true about Herod. If you remember this story, Joseph is then warned by an angel of the Lord to flee to Egypt because Herod is searching for Jesus, and if he finds Jesus, he will kill him. And obediently, Joseph packs up his family, seeks refuge in Egypt, where they stay and live until Herod dies and it is safe to return. It's a pretty dark story, right? But I think there are at least a couple of important points for us to consider things that we can gather in the details of this story. First, in the example of the wise men from the east, and second, in the Holy Family's departure. To Egypt. First thing I want to take our attention to that I find fascinating in this story of the epiphany that God is the fact that God is moving through seemingly ordinary historical events in order to keep the Christ child, this newborn Messiah, to keep him safe. But we also see in the fact that these religious men who love finding spiritual and historical meaning in the movement of the stars, they find God revealing the Christ child. And in this detail, we are reminded, I think, that it is God who finds and draws all people. The fact that God isn't limited by Or forced to work within, or confined to the methods that we have determined are best. God is revealed perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, and sometimes that occurs in absolutely miraculous ways. We are reminded that we, as the church, as the body of Christ, don't control the spread of the gospel. We don't control the advancement of God's kingdom. We participate in that. But as the church, we are not responsible for the growth of the church. We simply are called to bear witness to the fact that Christ is the king of the world. And as we do that faithfully, God grows the kingdom. Secondly, the example of the Holy Family. We find in Jesus... Together with his family, fleeing to Egypt, we find a king who sympathizes in a very personal way. If nothing else, through his identification, we find a king who sympathizes with those who are oppressed. A king who sympathizes with those who are subjected to violence, who are forced to flee looking for refuge. And I know that politics are complex However, as followers of Jesus, the one who has a death warrant as an infant or a toddler, the one who is seeking refuge in a foreign nation, I do think a story like this should impact our hearts, how we view those who are in similar situations today. When we see families fleeing violence, who do we see? We see Jesus. When we see helpless, innocent individuals who are threatened by oppression and violent, violent regimes, we see and are reminded of Jesus. When we see innocent children in the crosshairs of the decisions of powerful adults, we see Jesus. Our hearts are moved by compassion because we follow a king who identifies with those who are oppressed. A king who identifies with those who are subject to violence. Furthermore, when we see the vulnerability of Jesus as a baby, as a potential victim of infanticide, as a refugee in Egypt, we are reminded, as followers of this child, we are reminded that there is a sense in which Exile is going to be expected of us if we are a part of the Christian faith How could it not be? if we follow the baby who sought refuge in Egypt with his family we Have to face the reality that we are not promised a life that is free of that type of exile because that's the life our Savior and our King takes on In fact, we should probably expect it at some point point. There is always that sense of heaviness that is involved in following Jesus. And so I think it might be helpful for us to try to train ourselves to understand our faith through this lens. As we enter 2019, to understand this next year through that lens, it is probably going to be a year for most of us that is not free of some kind of trouble. And if this next year is, the the following year won't be free of trouble. And that's okay. We go into that with our eyes wide open, managing our expectations, understanding that Jesus is leading us. Sometimes he is leading us into exile or the unknown or leading us directly into troubled seas, but he is leading us nonetheless. I'm not suggesting that we desire exile that we seek it out, that we look for it. But, I mean, traveling to Egypt with an infant for Mary and Joseph was certainly not their first choice. And yet, they understand it's what they have been called to, and they accept it with grace, trusting God for their redemption. We find in the story a beautiful picture of trust in the midst of exile. And so as we bring this into our context, understanding that we quite likely will also face exile, we understand that sometimes it is our exile, sometimes it is our Egypt, figuratively speaking, of course, that will be the place where new life, where something beautiful can begin to emerge. Maybe without that exile, that beauty would not have lasted think this is a beautiful picture of that. Cheryl Bridges Johns puts it this way. She's a professor at Pentecostal Theological Seminary. She said of this of this story, sort of bringing it into our context. She said, Herod's hitmen are still commissioned to destroy the new life being born in us by the Spirit, but she said, do not fear. God provides the resources, the protectors and the supernatural interventions. She said, God will give you an Egypt where the new life can grow. Something that may not seem desirable at all at first, but it is in that place of exile where beauty and new life begins to emerge. We've mentioned Over the past month or two, that the Christmas season that we were moving forward to during Advent, we mentioned that it lasts 12 days, actually just ending yesterday. So I trust that everybody waited until yesterday to take down their decorations. I'm just joking. We're not going to check on that. But during this season, there are various celebrations that commemorate different saints and various events. Well, December 28th is one of those. It is the fourth day of Christmas, the Feast of Holy Innocence, which commemorates this dark story that we have read this morning, and I think it helps us appreciate the fact that the inclusion of this atrocity in the middle of the infancy narrative reminds us that our Lord was born into a world occupied by an adversary, enters a world that was hostile, a world that was unreceptive and often combative to his arrival, which we see in this story. And it's the same world we occupy today. We too live and breathe in a world that seems combative at times, a world that is dominated by this hostile adversary. Sometimes that is expressed in intangible ways. We can't really nail it down or or pinpoint the source of the evil, but we can certainly sense that it is real. At other times, think the hostile adversary, like what we find in this story in Matthew chapter 2, the hostile adversary has put on flesh, as it were, embodied in identifiable corrupt systems and destructive powers. When we think of the tyranny of heritage that is given voice in this story and then we look at our world today, we, I think, have to face the fact that the human race has failed to progress beyond this type of ruthlessness and insecurity. History repeats itself and likely will continue that pattern until the return of our Lord. Again, I understand this is a cheery message for the first Sunday in 2019. That may seem really discouraging to think that the oppression and the violence, the slaughter of innocents will continue today and probably shouldn't be unexpected. But this story gives us hope in the middle of that darkness. This story helps us remember that this is precisely the world that Jesus inhabits as an infant it is precisely the world that Jesus inhabits today, and so we find encouragement in the darkness. We find hope when the world seems to be dominated, when the world seems to be determined by tyrant kings. We find encouragement when the effects of that sort of aggression are maybe felt directly in a personal way, but we are also Trying to train ourselves to take our minds to and remember those who are disadvantaged in ways that make them especially susceptible to those misuses of power. And we look for ways to join them in solidarity just as our Lord did. We join them in solidarity through our prayers, through our identification if necessary, through our actions. This is precisely the world that Jesus enters as a baby and immediately is subject to the oppression of that world. And so I think a story like this provides immense comfort for us, recognizing that Christ has not left us to walk these dark roads alone, but is walking beside us through it all. I think a story like this also positions us to rightly understand a part of our purpose to consider that, I want to return to something Leslie Newbing had said. And while I do, Kevin, if you want to come up. He said this, the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is. And where is he in this story? He is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. And this is our motive for mission, for understanding our purpose, those dark places where destruction is palpable, where oppression is rampant, those are some of the very places where Jesus is revealed most clearly. We're going to be talking about this a little more throughout the month of January as we return to our purpose as a congregation as we do every January. But for today, we simply consider this story and we join together in declaring our trust in the King who enters a world in vulnerability and leads us as we walk in the vulnerable state we occupy. Would you stand this morning? We are going to sing a song together, declaring our trust before we share a meal together. We find Jesus walking with those who suffer greatly. When we look, we find Jesus who, uh, walking with those who are burdened by tyranny, And we find comfort when we recognize that exile might be our reality in some way. We find comfort understanding that Jesus is walking by us. My encouragement for each of us this morning, allow comfort in this story to deepen trust as we begin another year. Would you join me in this prayer as we sing together? Lord God, almighty and everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.